Our topic tonight out of Revelation 14, the second coming, or some refer to it as the second advent. But uh, to look at that in Revelation 14, we're going to look a little bit at Daniel chapter 12 first. Daniel chapter 12 comes on the heel of Daniel chapter 11. Daniel chapter 11 ends with the final conflict uh, between the king of the south, uh, <coughs> Islam, and the king of the north, apostate Christianity. And they battle it out. King of the north comes like a whirlwind and uh, defeats the king of the south. And then comes Revelation 12, starting in verse 1. And at that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. Okay, so in the book, talking about the book of life, everyone written in the Lamb's book of life, those who have followed the Lamb, those who have surrendered their life to the Lord, those who have had their names inscribed, this young Kippur terminology, Rosh Hashanah terminology, being inscribed in God's book, sealed in God's book, they will be delivered. And when are they delivered? Before or after this time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation? At that time, right, yeah. So maybe not so much after, but not before either. At that time, right? And it's because of the time of trouble that God has to step in and deliver his people. He's delivering us through that time of trouble. He's stepping in and pulling his people out during that troublesome time such as the world has never seen. <clears throat> so God's people there are in the midst of that trouble, going through that trouble, and God's hand steps in and interposes. And then the verse continues and says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. So simultaneously, everlasting life and everlasting contempt. Simultaneously taking place at the coming of the Lord, the resurrection of the righteous, uh, at the culmination of that time of trouble, God putting an end to that time of trouble, God working his deliverance for his people. So that's the setting. And now let's look in Revelation, very similar setting. This is Revelation 14, coming just right after we read last week. The, um, where Revelation 14 talks about God's people, and then it talks about the Lamb and the Gospel, the everlasting Gospel and the law of God. Then it talks about the beast and the mark of the beast. And then it talks about the Lamb and the Gospel again, and the law of God <laughs> again. And then right on the heels of that, it describes this verse, Revelation 14, verse 14. I looked and behold a white cloud, and one sat on the cloud, one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Right? And so right after this mark of the beast, right after God's people receive his seal, have his gospel, have his law, is described this son of man standing on a white cloud. Who is this with a crown on his head? Who is this? Yeshua, right? It's the son of man. That's a key right there, key phrase that's used to describe him with a crown on his head, the golden crown. Who's the king? Right? And he's standing on a white cloud, coming on the cloud, white cloud. Right, yeah, so it's Yeshua, and he's got a sharp sickle in his hand. 
obviously for harvesting, right? And that's where the verse continues and says, Then another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Right? So at the time of the harvest, Yeshua comes with his sickle and reaps. So who's he reaping here? Who's this ripe, ready to be harvested here? Who would this be if Yeshua's reaping them? <clears throat> the righteous, right. The righteous being reaped here, just like we just read, uh, God's people in, in, in Daniel uh, 12, God's people being delivered. Here he is delivering the mark of the beast, just verses before that. And then God stepping in and delivering his people, those who have received the everlasting gospel, received the lamb, have received his law, and allowing it to be lived out in their lives. And so he comes in at the time of the harvest, the end, and he reaps, and he puts in his sickle, and he reaps. Now, then simultaneously taking place, another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven. He also having a sharp sickle. Right? Another verse that coming out of the temple didn't tell us where that temple was. This is more specific here, just a few verses. So again, that's how you read the Bible. You read the context, read a little bit here or there, and it helps to explain what exactly is taking place. And so it's the temple which is in heaven. So the angel comes out of the temple which is in heaven, and he also has a sharp sickle. Just as Yeshua had a sharp sickle, now here is this angel coming out of the temple who also has a sharp sickle. So he's also obviously going to do some harvesting. Yeshua just did some harvesting. Now this other angel comes out, and he also has a sharp sickle. Verse 18, still Revelation 14. Another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire, and he cried with a loud voice to him who had a sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. Okay, so here's his... Another angel coming out now, and he's coming out from the altar. What is this altar? What is this altar? What is, where is that from? Where, where do we have this word altar from? The temple, right. That's right. The temple piece of furniture. Actually, there were two altars in the temple. There was one for sacrificing, and there was one for um, incense offering, for the prayers intercession taking place. And so it's one of these two altars, the heavenly altar, that he's coming from. So coming out of the temple also. So we've seen throughout Revelation, this heavenly sanctuary and these pieces of furniture, just as we have in the model on earth that was, that was made to depict and tell us what's going on in heaven. So this angel comes out and he has power over fire. That's going to be significant. We'll come back to that. So he's power over fire. So he's different than the other one. He's unique. Power over fire. And he crowd with a loud voice, thrust in your sickle and reap and gather the cluster of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. The one that Yeshua harvested, it says they were ripe. Here it says they are fully ripe, right? Maybe meaning overripe, right? Uh, they're fully ripe, ripened and, and too ripened. Because then it continues and says, And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and he gathered the vine of the earth, and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. The winepress was trampled outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridle for 1,600 furlongs. 
And of course, this is revelation and symbolism, right? So this, the, the blood of the grapes, the juice coming up to the, to the horse's bridle, right? Up to the mouth of the horse, right? Uh, it's showing how many grapes are being trampled. And of course, these grapes being trampled represent the wicked on the earth who are receiving the wrath of God. So simultaneously, God's people are reaped, God's people are delivered, God's people are taken and brought to the Lord, and simultaneously this other angel comes and he reaps the earth and reaps the wicked. Just as we read in Daniel chapter 12, the righteous are to everlasting life and the wicked to everlasting contempt. So that's a pretty uh, clear analogy of this harvest taking place. Now we have this type of story, the same type of parable, written in several other passages in the Bible as well, making it very clear and very plain. In Matthew 13, verse 30, it also talks about a harvest. In the time of the harvest, just like we just read, the harvest, in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. Right, that angel that came out from the altar, he had power over fire. And here, similarly, harvest, similar gather, similar reapers, and they gather together to burn them. Okay, power over fire. Now, in the Revelation 14 one, which one was mentioned first? Who was harvested first? The righteous. Who's being harvested first in this parable? The wicked, right? Well, how can that be? How come there's this concept? How come it's different? Well, because it's taking place simultaneously, and you can only mention one at a time, right? You can't talk about, you can't uh, take two sentences out of your mouth at the same time. So he's got to say one or the other first. So in one passage, he mentions the righteous first. Here he mentions the wicked first, because it's taking place simultaneously. And we'll see that more and more. And then gather the wheat into my barn. Right. Did you see any gap there? It was the same exact verse, verse 30. All within one verse. In the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather first, together first the tares, bind them in bundles, and burn them, and gather the wheat into my barn. Right? All simultaneously. As I mentioned there, there's going to be a seven-year gap between the two. There's going to be a second chance. It's going to be three and a half years. No. Simultaneously. Time of the harvest, he comes and he reaps. Tares get burned, the wheat into the barn. Right? He sucks in his sickle and gathers his ripe produce, ripe whatever it was, grains, didn't mention. And then the second one gathers the grapes and tramples them underfoot. Same chapter, Matthew 13, verse 47, another parable. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind of fish, which when it was full, they drew to the shore and they sat down and gathered the good into the vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from the just and cast them into the furnace of fire. The angel who came out from the altar had power over fire, gathering, harvesting, right? All same terminologies taking place here. At the end of the age, at the time of the harvest, at the time of trouble, such as the world has never seen, Michael standing up, right? All these terms, all these analogies pointing us to the coming of the Son of Man, 
Right? He's coming and he's doing his judgment and deliverance for the righteous and the destruction of the wicked. So in this one, in this parable, they drew to the shore and they sat down and they gathered the good into vessels. Right? In the same chapter, Matthew 13, when it was talking about the, the wheat and the tares, which one did it mention was harvested first? The tares. And bind them in bundles and burn them, right? Here, it mentions gather together the, the good into the vessels and throw the bad away. It's, okay, it's taking place simultaneously, right? You're going through the fish, good one, bad one, bad one, good one, you know, they're going through all together, right? And so it's taking place simultaneously. And, so in the, and in the second part of this description, it then mentions, it says it again, and the angels will come and separate the wicked from the just. And so in verse 49 there, it's saying the wicked first and the just second. But in verse uh, 48, it mentions the good first and the bad second. Again, I don't know how else we can mention it simultaneously. But here it is, bringing it together in this parable of the dragnet, Matthew 13, verse 47. So that's already, what, three or four, right? Uh, Daniel, uh, Revelation, and two parables out of Matthew already. Four different things saying exactly the same thing. And it's not even done yet, not even close. Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory. Son of Man, that's what it was described there in Revelation 14. Here, Son of Man coming in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. How many are gathered before him? All, right? All are gathered before him at the time of his coming, at his coming, the Son of Man coming in all of his glory with all of his angels, right? And so this is his second coming, here he's coming, He's bringing all the nations together, and he is separating them one from another, just as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set his sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Because in this parable, we don't look at all the verses, but they, they fed the poor, they clothed the naked, they visited those that were in prison, and they've done that to the least. Of, by doing it to him, they've done it to the, doing it to the least, they've done it unto him. And so he says, blessed are you, the sheep on my right, come inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Right? So just like the harvesting, gathering it into the barns, gathering it into the good vessel, right? He's harvesting them and bringing them to the kingdom, the new Jerusalem, the kingdom of heaven. I go to prepare a place for you that when I come, I will bring you to myself, right? So uh, brings them to his kingdom, which he's prepared from the foundation of the world. And he will also say to those on his left hand, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, and these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Again, simultaneously, very clear in each one of these ones, fifth parable now, simultaneously, 
Righteous delivered, wicked destroyed. Or described as wicked destroyed, burned up, and then the righteous delivered. Either way, it's happening simultaneously. Did you see in any of these so far where it mentions a, a, a second chance? Another seven years, another three and a half years, another time period or anything of a second chance? Nope, not at all. Not at all. Who would come up with an idea of a second chance after the Lord comes, after the judgment day? Satan himself. Yes. Because he knows our nature and he knows we procrastinate and he knows we put things off. And we'll put it off and delay it, right? Just look at everyone doing their taxes, right? Put it off, put it off, put it off, right? We're doing an assignment or turning in a grade or filling out a homework assignment. Put it off, put it off, put it off, right? And so that's our nature. We put it off, and if we can put it off, then he can get us. And then the macho, oh, I'll just, you know, wait and see when, when he comes and there's deliverance comes. Oh, it'll be tough, it'll be horrible, they say, but hey, I can handle it. And that's when I'll really get serious with the Lord. What an overriding deception if there is no second chance. And people are depending on that second chance and thinking there's going to be a second chance. Be the ultimate deception. The ultimate snare to catch people unaware. Maybe that's why there's so many times that it's mentioned so clearly over and over and over again in these very plain texts. And we're not even done yet. Luke chapter 17, verse 26. As in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. In the days of Noah. The flood came. Noah and his family floated away on the boat. And the wicked were drowned. Simultaneously. Same exact time. Deliverance for God's people, destruction of the wicked. As in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Again, that term, Son of Man, again, used in Matthew, used in Revelation, and it's coming. Same chapter, Luke verse 17, chapter 17, verse 28. As in the days of Lot, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. The time of Lot. The angels come, they deliver Lot and his wife, at least for a short time, before she turns around, and two daughters, and as they're leaving the city and moving up, going up towards the mountains, fire comes down and destroys the wicked. Same time. They didn't get another seven years, they didn't get another three and a half years, they didn't get a second chance. They had their chance. And they had multiple chances. In the days of Noah, Noah's preaching for 120 years, building an ark. Animals miraculously coming out of the woods and marching in pairs, two by two of unclean, sevens by of the cleans. Exact numbers. Lions not eating the lambs, right? They're marching in and marching into the ark, marching into their stable, into their cages. That's miraculous. How can they see that and not be convinced by that? Two angels come into the Sodom. People are all blinded and still don't repent, still don't turn their hearts to the Lord. Lot's family, no doubt, heard the story. 
They were all blinded. The whole city was blinded. Couldn't find the door. But yet they still refused to go. Lot's wife saw it right before her, saw the angels, saw the power of God. Saw them reach in and pull Lot back into the building. And yet she still turned back. God in his mercy gave them opportunity, opportunity, opportunity. Everybody's given all these opportunities. He's already given his son for us. Salvation has already been paid. And for them, lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Salvation's already been paid. He's already loved us with a great love. He's already provided for all our needs according to his riches and glory. He's already given us everything we need for salvation and for eternal life. He's already given us evidence in the signs, in the skies, in the nature, and in his power, and his might, in his glory, in his word. Second chance won't do anything more. Would another seven years have helped Lot's wife? Would another three and a half years helped her? Would it help the, the wicked in Noah's day after they saw the animals walk into the ark? No. After 10 plagues in Egypt and the parting of the Red Sea, did it help the Pharaoh? Did it help the Egyptian soldiers charging after them in the midst of the Red Sea? No second chance will do anything for anyone. And it's just not there. It's not there in any of these examples, any of these parables. Been through, what, five parables and now two examples, Noah and Lot? And not done yet. Luke chapter 17, verse 31. And in that day, two women will be grinding together. The one will be taken and the other left. Two will be in the field, the one will be taken, and the other left. Simultaneously, at the same time, one taken, one left. And they said to him, where, Lord? Now, what are they talking about when they're asking that? Where, Lord? Who are they talking about? Who are they asking where about? Where? Right. Where are they being taken? Right? Not the ones who are left. No, they're left. They're left where they were, right? They were by the uh, field. They were left in the field. If they're grinding, they're left by the grinding wheel, right? So where are they taken? Right? Isn't that the context? So verse 37, they ask, where, Lord? Let's see what he answers. Where are they taken? The others are left. Where are they taken? Taken to heaven? Where are they taken? So he said to them, Wherever the body is, is, there the vultures will be gathered together. Where are they taken? To the dump, right? They're taken to Gazeza, right? They're taken to Ghana, Ghana, right? Ghana, right? Yeah, taken to be buried with the waste for the vultures to come and the worms to come and eat their dead bodies. To the trash heap. They're taken out. They're taken away. And those who are left are left standing. Like Michael standing up in defense of his people. The wicked are taken out for the vultures to eat. Revelation talks about two feasts, right? We've seen two of everything. We've seen two animals, the lamb and the beast. We've seen two cities, Babylon and the New Jerusalem. We've seen two women. Well, we've seen one woman so far. We're going to see another woman 
another time, good one and a bad one. Two's and all these things. Well, there's also two feasts. We'll get to those. The Feast of the Lamb and the Feast of the Birds. This is part of the Feast of the Birds. Vultures coming. But what is popularly taught about those that are taken? Oh, they're the saved. And the ones that are left? Oh, they're in trouble. But read another verse. One more verse. They said, where, Lord? He said, wherever the body is, there the vultures will be gathered together. Pretty plain. Now, in Matthew, it leaves off the vulture part. It leaves off the where they sat. But it's the same story in both, both uh, Gospels. <clears throat> Everything up to that point. And as in the days of Noah, Noah was left alive in the ark with his family. And the wicked were taken out by the flood, washed away with the flood. In the days of Lot, Lot was remained standing. And the wicked were taken out by the fire. Either way, whatever the case, it's simultaneous. They're not left with another seven years. There's no seven years mentioned in any of these accounts. Seven years not there. It doesn't exist. People have mentioned that to me. Oh, there's seven years. I say, oh, yeah, where is that seven years? Uh, I'll get back to you. I either never see them again, or they come back and they, I ask them again, well, where's that? Oh, I forgot to look that up. Oh, I'll get it next time. Oh, I couldn't find it. I'll have to do some more research. It doesn't exist. Now, I know where the so-called theologians steal it from and twist it out of its place, but it certainly doesn't fit here. It doesn't fit in the days of Noah. It doesn't fit in the days of Lot, example. It doesn't fit in this parable. It doesn't fit in the... In the parable of the sheep and the goats, or the wheat and the tares, or the dragnet, or the grapes. First Thessalonians chapter 4. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the shofar of God, and the dead in Messiah shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. Right? So we, he comes and he gathers, right? He sends, puts in his sickle, he coming on the clouds, right? One like the Son of Man coming on, on the white cloud with a sickle. He puts in his sickle and he reaps, taking us to the kingdom prepared for us. <clears throat> he comes in, raises the dead. And those that are alive remain gathered together. Right? We see this gathering, 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 harvest gathered together to meet the Lord in the air, in the clouds. He's coming on the clouds. He takes us to meet him in the air at his coming. And then just a few pages later, this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, then 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. At his coming. The brightness of his coming. So his brightness of his coming is glory to his people. who are going through a time of trouble such as there never has been since there was a time on this earth. As we read in Daniel 12. 
And so they're going through, we're going through this trial, such an amazing trial, worldwide trial, worldwide persecution against God's people, against professed people of God, thinking they're doing God's service. And then deliverance comes, he comes on the clouds, all his angels with him. The heaven rolls back as a scroll. And we look up, there is our God. Here is our deliverance. We've waited for him. Here he comes. And the angels come descending down. And the dead and the Messiah come rising up out of the grave. And they gather us together from one end of the earth to the other to meet the Lord in the air. And simultaneously, that same coming, that same brightness, that same face, and the wicked say, hide us. And rocks and hills fall on us. And hide us from the face of the of the Lamb, the wrath of the Lamb. It's the same coming. Glory to one, horror to the other. Hey, if you're walking down the street, someone reaches out of a dark alley and pulls you into that dark alley, starts beating you up, and all of a sudden a flashlight and a badge shows up, two police officers, three police officers with guns, how are you feeling about that? You're thinking, my deliverance. Thank you, guys. And what is the bad guy thinking? He runs, right? It's not good. It's the same police officer, same, right? To one, it's glorious. To the other, it's horrible. At his coming, his brightness of his coming is glorious to his people. And it's destruction to the wicked comes in all of his glory, in all of his brightness, the glory of the Father, with all of his angels, unmasked, unveiled. And that just brings conviction to the sins in the hearts of the wicked. It just burns them up. He's a consuming fire. Consumes sin. And if our sins have been confessed and have gone before us to judgment, they're forgiven, they're washed clean by the blood of the Lamb, blotted out of the record books of heaven, removed from us, we're set free, our record is clean, without fault, without spot before the throne of God. And so we can receive that brightness, like Moses going up on the mount and seeing the Lord and the glory shining off of him. But the wicked holding on to sin, the brightness and the glory of the Lord, consume sin, and they get consumed with it, holding on to their sin. <clears throat> Just like Sodom and Gomorrah, they're destroyed with the brightness of his coming, at his coming. Not seven years after his coming, not three and a half years after his coming, not some other time after his coming, at his coming. No second chance. Our second chance is today. If you live today, then you've already had your second chance. If you've lived more than one minute on this earth, you've had your second chance already. By all right, we all should die. And he's given us mercy. He's given us second chance at Calvary. That's where our second chance is. Not after he takes his people to heaven. Then it's too late. Now is the time to be making our decision for the Lord. Don't put off our decision for the Lord. Now is the time to get ready. Now is the time to be ready. 
Now is the time to get other people ready because he is coming and coming soon. John chapter 10, verse 14. I am the good shepherd. Other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring. And if they will hear my voice, there will be one flock and one shepherd. Right, similar to the parable we just read of the separating the sheep from the goats. Now, I don't know what he's got against goats. Right? I don't know why the goats are on the left-hand side. I don't know. Maybe I need to know more about farming, know about goats and sheep. I don't know. But the, but isn't the goats, not making, but the sheep. The sheep he brings into his barns. <clears throat> and here also, he'll have one fold, bringing his sheep together, bringing his people together. People who know the Lord, people who love the Lord. People who live his law, have his law written in their hearts and their minds, filled with his spirit, who have the mind of Yeshua. One shepherd hearing his voice, following the good shepherd, following the Lord of glory. His sheep hearing his voice and coming together in oneness, in truth, in God's word in harmony together. And it might be that final trial, that final time of trouble such as the world has never seen that'll actually bring us together. And then the other side, Revelation 13, 3, all the world marveled and followed the beast. They worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. So again, just two sides. Those following the good shepherd or those following the beast. Both are worshiping. I hear it in Revelation 13, verse 3. They're not atheists. They're worshiping. They're worshiping the dragon who gave authority to the beast. It's a false worship, but it's going to look very close to the real. Any counterfeits got to look close to the real. Wouldn't be deceiving. It wouldn't get all the world to marvel, all the world to follow, all the world to say, who is like the beast? If it was beastly, if it was horrible looking, if it was horrendous, no, it's going to be very peace-like. When the devil tempted Yeshua, he quoted the Bible. He didn't come denying the Bible. He came quoting the Bible. The counterfeit will be the same, worshiping the beast. Verse here, verse there, skipping major portions, twisting here, twisting there, to our own destruction. Following the beast, worshiping the beast. Thinking they're doing God's service in persecuting those who are following the Lamb with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, with all their strength, who've received the everlasting gospel and have received the law of God into their hearts and minds. <clears throat> See, Revelation 12, 17, just verses before what we just read, the dragon was enraged with the woman and went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Yeshua, the Messiah. The unique blend of both. Not one without the other, not the other without the first, both together. Keeping the commandments of God and having the testimony 
of Yeshua the Messiah. That's what the devil hates. That's what he's wrath after. And that's what he goes and makes war against. And if he's able to make war against them, then obviously we're still here. In all of these stories, we haven't seen any poofing out beforehand. Now he takes his people through the time of trouble and then works his deliverance, and then that's it. At the end. Right? There's no end after the end. The end is the end. At the end of time, at the time of the harvest, at the coming of the Lord. Right? He comes, delivers his people, destroys the wicked. His people are described here, and the wicked described as worshiping the beast and receiving his mark. In contrast to God's people. Two sides, that's all there's going to be. Not going to be any middle ground. Now is the time to make our decision to get right with God, to get real with Him, real with ourselves, honest about our walk with Him, and surrender all. Surrender all fears, surrender all worries, surrender all cares, surrender all selfishness, and put Him first. Stop putting ourselves first, put Him first. Allow him to search us, try us, see if there be any wicked way in us. Because he's coming. And there'll be no second chance. And as John finishes Revelation, even come swiftly, Lord Yeshua. That should be our desire. We should be used by God to hasten his coming in warning the world to get ready, get ready, get ready. Now is the time. Now is the accepted time. Don't harden your heart like in the days in the wilderness. Now is the acceptable time. Now get ready. Now surrender all. None of us know if we have another moment. If we're going to make it home tonight. Let alone make it to his coming. Today is the day. Tonight is the night. You haven't accepted Yeshua as your Messiah you haven't accepted him for forgiveness of sins, you haven't accepted his power to give you victory over sin, then do so even before we go on to any further. Allow him to work in your heart and mind and life. And if we have accepted him, let's recommit our lives to him and let him use us in warning the world because he's coming soon. <clears throat> We've done, we're at chapter 14 in Revelation. We did 12 chapters in Daniel. That's 26 chapters. Have we seen any gap? Have we seen any extra years? Have we seen nothing? It's not there. Extra seven years don't exist at the end. <clears throat> no gap. Everything right after another. We're almost done with the book. There's very little to take place. Very little more that needs to happen. Just about everything has already happened. He's about to come. Let's review the chart. Okay, so start on the right side here. Start in Daniel 2. Babylon, then coming down the chart. Babylon, then Babylon in Daniel 7. And then after that was Medo-Persia, 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 Medo-Persia. And Greece, 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 right? All together, every chapter overlapping, 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 saying the same thing. And then pagan Rome came on the scene. 
Pagan Roman Daniel 2, Pagan Roman Daniel 7, Pagan Roman Daniel 8 and 9, Daniel, Pagan Roman Daniel 10, and then in Revelation, Pagan Rome, Pagan in the first three congregations, in the first three uh, seals, in the first three trumpets, same time period. All these chapters have already been covered. All this history has already happened. And then after that, Christianized Rome, And Daniel 2, Daniel 7, right on down the list. All the way in. And then Islam mentioned in Daniel 11. Islam mentioned again in the fifth and sixth trumpet. Three more congregations, three more seals. All the same time periods coming all the way down. Revelation 13, the same 1,260 years. It's the same place on the chart, same place, same mentioned in all these different chapters, seven different times. It's in the same place. Because it's all happened already. All of this, the whole purpose of Daniel and Revelation is to show us where we're at. All this has already taken place. The United States in Bible prophecy. First beast revealed, second beast. And we come to the very end. That's all that's left. All of that's already happened. We're down to the very end. And each chapter ends at the coming of the Lord. Each chapter, each section rather. Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Daniel 8 and 9, Daniel 10 through 12, Revelation 2 and 3, Revelation 6 and 7, Revelation 8, 9, 10 and 11, Revelation 12, Revelation 13, Revelation 14, they all end at his coming. That's the whole focus of Daniel and Revelation, is to get us ready for his coming. And that's where we're living. We're living right at the very end. Everything's already taken place. He's about to come. The only thing that hasn't happened yet is the gospel going to the world, waiting on us, be filled with the Holy Spirit to take the gospel to the world, the mark of the beast, and that time of trouble. And one thing will lead to the other. We get serious, filled with the Holy Spirit, take the gospel to the world, and it will enrage the devil more than ever. It'll bring about the time of trouble, and it'll enforce his mark. And people will make their decisions. <laughs> Have the seal of God or the mark of the beast. And then the Lord will come and deliver his people through that time of trouble. That's all that's left. In all of Daniel Revelation, we've looked at 26 chapters. That's all that's left to take place. We're at the very end of time. And that's the whole purpose of Daniel Revelation. To show us the day we're living in. Not to reveal the beast so much. Not to know all these different Greece, Rome, Medo-Persia, so that we know where we are to prepare us for this day. No gap. And common modern thinking, which came about, the beast power came up with the false counterfeit reformation, saying, no, 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 it can't point to us. No, 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 we're not in, no, no, the end time Messiah hasn't come yet, even though the Bible says it was already there in existence in, 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 in Paul's day, in John's day. The spirit of Antimacite was already there. But no, 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 it's not here. It's all going to be in the future. It's all going to be in the future. And all of Daniel Revelation, most of it's going to take place all within the last three and a half years, seven years of Earth's history. And you're not going to be here anyway. So it's not going to affect you. You're going to get poofed out of here. So don't even worry about it. Don't even read it. It doesn't matter anyway. Don't take it too seriously. It's not going to apply to you. 
What a deception Satan has sown into this world. People don't even know who the beast is, don't even know what the mark is. Won't be ready, won't be prepared, thinking we won't even go through a time of trouble. And yet God has always allowed his people to go through and does his deliverance. Right? When was Daniel delivered? Before or after he was thrown into the lion's den? When was Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah delivered? Before or after they were thrown into the fiery furnace? When did the ten plagues in Egypt happen? Before or after we left Egypt? Right? He takes us through. He protects us through it. He stood there with Daniel. He stood there with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The last seven plagues didn't happen in Goshen. He stood there, protected us, but we were still there. When did Yeshua ascend? Before or after he went to the cross? He himself went through it. He will take us through it. But he will stand there with us and hold our hand as he leads us through it. And he gets all the honor and glory that he has a people that were able to stand for him through it all, through the midst of it, through the darkest part of earth's history, like Job. That's why Job is the example. He says, look, have you considered my servant Job? No matter what you do to him, he will remain faithful to me. And that's what he's going to do in his last days. Have you seen my people? Have you looked at my people? They're able to stand and they will follow me no matter what you do to them. Be a testimony to all the universe that God is able, that his love is powerful enough to sustain us no matter what, not buy, not sell, doesn't matter. I don't care. We will serve the Lord and him alone, even if all the world follows the beast, even if we're different than everyone else and everything else. Why do you got to be so peculiar? Why do you got to be different? Just following the Lamb, whithersoever he goes, having the commandments of God and the testimony of Yeshua the Messiah, And so, in a moment when we pray, if you haven't surrendered, then in a moment when we pray, surrender your life to the Lord. Secondly, if you're fearful of the time that's coming, surrender the fears to the Lord. He will hold you fast. He will take you through. He will carry you through. Third, if you're not serving the Lord and getting other people ready, if you're ready but aren't getting other people ready, and ask the Lord to fill you with his spirit, to use you for his honor and glory in warning this world. Because the Lord is coming soon and very soon. We're going to see the king. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, king of the universe, thank you for your word. Thank you for your warning. Thank you for your deliverance. Thank you for your promise of deliverance through that time. Thank you that you'll deal with the wicked. <clears throat> Thank you for giving us chance and chance and chance now. Thank you for paying for our salvation. Thank you for giving us our second and third and fourth and a millionth chance. 
Thank you for your mercy enduring forever. Fill us with your glory. Cleanse us from our sins. Save us by your blood. And use us in reaching other people for your kingdom. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.